This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Kane in the pipe, oh, and it's yeah. blocked! And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here on week 18's somber Inside Black and Gold podcast on an ending to a season that I guess in the end, Jeff, is kind of fitting for what we saw from this Saints squad this year. They built it up, and I feel like we all bought into that going out on a high, and then that kind of totally got sucked away in a game that I can't believe you know we had to sit through. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm celebrating. What this is this is a party for me. I am thrilled because I don't have to talk about this goddamn team anymore. They they can't hurt me anymore. It's over. Yeah, but now, <laughs> because, now speculation city begins. Now you gotta yeah, start. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Anything but this season. This season has been the worst. Escape from um, reality. But yeah, I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow us on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak at Steve Geller WWL. This is gonna be our last post-game podcast of the year, obviously, considering it is the last post game we are going to have of the 2022 season so the schedule is going to be a little different we're going to start publishing on tuesdays and thursdays again it's going to be two episodes a week so keep that in mind if you haven't gone and subscribed please do that wherever you get your podcast we really do appreciate it. it means a lot and it means even more if you go you can leave us a rating a review on apple Podcasts because those help us a lot in the algorithm we want to show up in searches that's how you can help us do that so long story short that's my that's my shtick but yeah this season needed to end you know and i think you know, whether the players wanted to admit it or not, they wanted the season. Like once it stopped meaning anything in week 18, they were ready for this this miserable season to end just like everyone else was. And that's what you saw today. They had a scripted drive to start the game. It went eight plays, touchdown. Chris Olave got over a thousand yards. That was really the only thing that it seemed like anyone cared about. And uh, that's what it was. And I thought Cam Jordan had a good take on how this game kind of felt just around this entire season at large. Thoughts on how this game ended seemed to depict the, the Saints' season entirely. Um, chances to score, we didn't. Chances to make a big play, a um, couple tackles, missed. Ebbs and flows, team never gives up, fighting. But when you let a team 
last to the end of the quarter, end of the fourth quarter, and end up getting beat in the fourth. How many games have we seen that this year? There's, uh, like I said, it just Too seemed many. like the games we lost, this is exactly how it happened. You let somebody who shouldn't have been in the race stay in the race, and that's how you end up losing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it very much was. And uh, I, I, I can't disagree with that. This This game was the Saints season in a nutshell. It looked good for very short periods of time. <laughs> you felt like the Saints were in control and they never really were. And then at the end, you know, they, they decide, you know what? This isn't what we want. We don't want to be a good team. We're going to be a bad team. And then they lose. I was all excited. Alvin Kamara was looking great. <laughs> he was. Alvin played well. Alvin had his best game, I thought. He definitely looked like he had some of those moves back. You know, you know what I mean? Well, he was breaking tackles, right? He looked like he, he, looks, he, was, he was Alvin slippery, Kamara right? ran like Alvin Kamara in this game. He he ran 23 times, 107 yards, 4.7 yards a carry. And it was a legit 107 because it wasn't like he had one long run and then a bunch of small runs. Like his long run was 22 yards. So like he he just kept ripping carries off. He's the only player that I look at and say he had a good game from on the offense, at least. It's too bad we didn't throw him the ball at all. Never do. He had one catch for three yards on two targets. Rashid, you know, it, it very much felt like the offense had 15 scripted plays, which is what you do, right? You, you script the first 15 plays. That's what every team does. And it felt like very much that they did that and then nothing else. It did not seem like they had a plan. It didn't seem like the team understood what they were supposed to be doing. Chris Olave, I thought, looked very, I don't want to say aloof, but unfocused in this game there was a point in the first half if you remember that drive where it was the other drive that felt like oh this is a good football team (laughs) they got down into the into the Panthers territory it was a long drive and then for whatever reason Chris Olave was standing over on the sidelines with his helmet in his hands and that happened for I want to say six consecutive plays it was either five or six or seven in that range and there were multiple times and I was watching him and I was tweeting about it because it was weird to me in part because I had the over on Chris Olave yardage, which was 65. I mean, he got to 60. So that's oh. what I was self-interested at that point. I was like, why isn't he on the field? And it's the second week in a row. I've been screwed over on a Chris Olave prop because last week I took his over on catches, which was four and a half. He had four catches on the opening drive. Didn't catch another pass the entire game. So I don't know if they're just messing with me specifically, but it they did look like he was, I don't know if he was getting punished or something. I thought maybe he had re-aggravated his hamstring and they were like, you know what? We're just going to shut you down. But that couldn't have been the case because he played like the entire second half. So I almost feel like he was, he had messed something up and they were, you know, they had, he was in the doghouse or something. Cause this was before the fumble and he didn't come back on the field until the final drive after they got the interception and they were trying to get into field goal range. So like, then there were multiple instances where I looked down and I saw him kind of jogging out in the field. I was like, oh, he's back in the game. And then I looked out and he wasn't in the personnel. And I went back and I was like, oh, he's back on the sideline. So again, I don't know what happened there, but he did not look focused in this game. He had several drops. He had the fumble. You know, he had 12 targets. He only had five catches. There were multiple instances where he was running one route and Andy Dalton was throwing another. Um, down the field, it just it was it didn't look right. Um, so yeah, I wonder like what what happened after the touchdown. He made yeah. that great spin, looked great, and looked then great. like so, suddenly like he he like shook everything, and couldn't couldn't hold on to the ball. 
Yeah, I don't know. It was not a good game for him. It was really too- weird, but just to see all of a sudden he's had some issues this year with ball, you know, ball security and a few drops. But this game was like pile it on. You know what I mean? I, I do wonder if there's kind of a rookie wall thing going on. That's always an issue for rookies. Is you go into to an NFL season and suddenly you're playing 17 games and it's every week and it's a grind. And especially you get to the end of the season and now this game doesn't really matter for the playoffs. And it's like, okay, I'm just unfocused. Like you have to be really focused to play in the NFL. And I don't think people appreciate that from an outside perspective. It's like, you can lose that edge very easily. And when you do, you don't, you know, you, you, you're Kenny Galladay, right? Like you need every ounce of, of focus to perform well in an NFL game. You don't do it by accident. And I just felt like he was very unfocused today. I felt like the entire offense, especially in the second half, was very unfocused. You know, like you can say they they had chances in the half and they did. In the second half, the only chances they had were were created by, you know, the interception by Daniel Sorensen. You know, like, like these instances where the defense set up the offense and they still couldn't perform. And that's what I think that's the story of this game. We last uh, laughed last time that he got that takeaway, but man, Sorensen is Mister. I'm in the right place at the right time. Yeah, if you want to look at it this way, five of the Saints' seven interceptions this year came from the tandem that I refer to as the X Chiefs. Right, because Tyra Matthew and Daniel Sorensen, who both played for the Chiefs last year, they had five mm-hmm. of the Saints' seven interceptions. Five. The other two were Marshawn Lattimore and Demario Davis. Tyron's got three. Yes. And, and, you know, I'm not going to toot my own horn or anything, but I also am because I think that people over the last few weeks have started to appreciate that Tyron Matthew is actually playing well. Um, And, and like, I get it. He started slow, but he has been very good over the final two months of this season. And you know, who set a career high in tackles today? Dun, 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 dun. Who? Tyron Matthew. He finished the season with wow. 90 tackles. That's the most he has had in his career. And like for a guy who had like was roundly criticized for not being a good tackler and for missing all these tackles, he set a career high in tackles. Um, and uh, one thing, and you know, Tyron was asked like when he started feeling comfortable, and I thought he was very honest in his answer after the game. You know, it's probably fair to say, you know, maybe midway, you know, through the season. Um, you know, took a lot of punches, you know, early on in the year. Um, but you know, I've been doing this a long time. Um, so, you know, you just keep coming to work, you know, keep trying to get better, uh, you know, and just, you know, stick with your teammates through it all. So, you know, I felt like I did that for the most part. And, uh, you know, I felt like I finished the season, you know, fairly strong. I thought that was telling. I thought the fact that he was willing to admit, like, yeah, I, I didn't really feel comfortable in this offense until about halfway through. You know, I do think you saw that, right? Like, I think he played very well over the last couple months of the season, and it coincided with this defense really stepping up in class. And they did finish the season without allowing a 20-point opponent after week nine. So That's ridiculous. When you look at the numbers, forget the, the run that you're talking about right there, but just in this game alone of what Carolina couldn't do and somehow swept you this season with ineptitude everywhere it was that's some disgusting football and and back-to-back matchups yeah so the the like we can talk all we want about that stat right the the like points without allowing or games without allowing 20 points or more the problem is 
they lost four of them. Well, four and four. <laughs> like, great. You haven't allowed anyone to score 20 points, but you didn't score 20 points either in, in a majority of them. So, yeah. You know, and, and people are going to say fire DA, whatever. I'm concerned about the kicking game. I'm concerned about the offense. <laughs> like, those are two things that you have to, that you knew going into this season were going to have to be handled independently of the head coach because he is a defensive guy and you needed to trust and deputize people to take care of those elements of the game. It's the same reason that you needed a strong defensive coordinator with Sean Payton and it didn't happen. If Will Lutz makes a field goal in this game, you win it. <laughs> Straight up. Either because one. you don't even try the 55 yarder if you were up 10 to seven. You just punt it knowing that Sam Darnold at that point had 14 yards passing. <laughs> and you say, you know what, Sam, if you can if you can quadruple your passing yardage in the final two minutes of this game, good on you. But they couldn't trust Will Lutz to make a field goal, and and that's what cost you that game. Somehow Darnold managed to have a worse performance than Baker Mayfield, and yet they both got victories. Oh, yeah, both, both Panthers quarterbacks had terrible games against the Saints. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like putrid. He finished... Five for 15 for 43 yards passing with two no touchdowns and two interceptions. 21 of those yards came on one pass play to set up the game-winning field goal. He had 22 passing yards going into the final drive of the game. He had more rushing yards. He had 32 rushing yards, and that's one thing I tweeted during the game is I always forget that Sam Darnold isn't that slow. And I think the Saints did too, because he, he he had you know he ran for a significant number of yards in this game. He was Mister you know elusive. I couldn't believe how many times he wriggled his way out of trouble, uh, especially on third down, of course. And you see him scrambling, you know, picking up picking up that yardage, and it, it just uh, that happened, you know, obviously a couple times, but man. You just really have to question how the how things are going with the offense. I don't really blame it on the O-line, even though they were lacking a lot of guys up front, obviously, in this game. But I didn't think that was the reason. I thought it was more of either the execution or the call. Yeah, I mean, I just all season long, I felt like this this offense was like working at half speed and like the creativity wasn't there and you didn't take advantage of situations. And the example that comes to mind is it was a third and I want to say like six in the fourth quarter. And you ended up with Josh Norman one-on-one over Chris Olave. And he had to be one-on-one because he's the X. So there's no, there's no one else over on that side. There's just a deep safety and Josh Norman. So he is on an Island. Um, and Instead, the play call was a quick slant to the opposite side of the field to Rashid Shahid, and Dalton left it behind Rashid. It was a you know an incompletion, fourth down, a punt. And it's like as an offense, the whole your goal should be to isolate and take advantage of of matchups. And Josh Norman, in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two, I'm sorry twenty twenty three, is not a guy who you should ever let off the hook when he's one-on-one on on your best receiver. And, like, I don't get it. Like, how is that not a read? How is that not a check? 
How is that not a key you have going into the game, knowing that Josh Norman is going to be on the outside against one of your fast receivers and you never challenged him? You did on the first drive of the game and you scored a touchdown and you never did it again. Did you see one instance in that game where they attacked Josh Norman? No, and the other thing that stands out to me was obviously the miss on not seeing Taysom wide open for a touchdown. That was bad too, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was just so many moments that you couldn't believe. It felt like it should have been like 21 nothing kind of game, and you looked up and it was 7 nothing for the longest. It felt like a team that wasn't ready to play, and whether that's true or not, you know, I think that the, like if you go back and watch that game, you're going to feel that way. Um, I don't know if it had to do with the, the you know, like I don't want to put it on any situations, but I do think they probably got a later start to the week because of the whole DeMar Hamlin situation. There was a lot of distractions. Carolina um, lost two O-linemen in that game, though. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, the issue wasn't on the defensive side of the ball. The defense, no. did, short of scoring a touchdown, the defense did everything it possibly could. It was so uh, on the encouraging note of seeing all of a sudden those takeaways started coming in bunches like everyone, you know, starts talking about and it just boom, it's it's the finito. They're done. We don't get to see more of that, at least. I, I thought it has been a huge positive, obviously. Yeah, it's the second consecutive season. I'm disappointed that I don't get to see what this defense could have done in the playoffs um, because last year I felt the same way. It's like you could win a game with this defense if you did it Absolutely. the right way, and you just don't get to see that. But yeah, and and that's why like you hear from you hear Cam talking. Cam, yeah, it's like you actually believe what he's saying in terms of like, yeah, I'm pissed off because the defense. You know, you say like the the Saints came into this maybe not ready to play. That's only that's on the offensive side of the ball. That's not true on the defensive side of the ball. The defensive side, they they played their hearts out in this game. And here's what Cam had to say about how, you know, you enter the offseason um, and how you're going to, going to approach that. Into the offseason, let this, let this loss burn. There's nothing to be proud of going 7-10. and 10. Um, Not making the playoffs for the second time in a row. Let it burn. Let it, let it stay in your mind. Let it simmer. Let it carry over into your workouts. Let it carry over into whatever you got to do to get your mind right. Um, take some time. Heal your body. And at the same time, let it, let it be not even at the back of your mind. Let it be at the front of your mind. We have to be able to come in and take command from jump. You think about the entire season, what happens. Um, I think defense made some plays, but we, there, if there's plays to be made, we can always make more. I think that, you know, early on this, this first half of the season, we didn't have enough turnovers. I think early on, you know, whatever it was, um, we were working on some things. Second half of the season, you saw a completely different energy around the team. And that's the energy you need from jump. Not to finish the way we wanted. It's going to be irksome for a while. Definitely agree with that because, like, I was all bought in. Like, I thought four in a row, man, this team was really gelling. And I was like, unfortunately, too little, too late. But, hell, they'll still go out on a high into the offseason abyss of no playoffs. But not even not even any we, – we don't get joy from that. It just – the play calling on offense, I don't know if it didn't suit the person. I, I still can't believe we didn't go deep to Shahid more. At least there's not there's not the one shot to him. Even no, it, it, the offense just looked like it didn't have a plan, and I, that's what happens when you don't have a plan. I got excited for a second. I saw Jameis Winston all of a sudden walking from the bench area, and I'm like, "Is he coming to warm up to to give me a toss downfield?" And nope. for some reason, no, he went to the the locker room, but he came back. I don't know if he just had to take you know bathroom break 
or uh, something. I would guess. I would guess it was a bathroom break. But um, unfortunately, yeah. he wasn't warming up the arm. I didn't get to see Taysom, uh, him come in in relief of Taysom and uh, Dalton out there. The funny thing is, you you look at Andy's numbers and they're not that bad. You know, at fifteen for twenty five, one hundred seventy one yards and a touchdown. It's like a ninety three point nine passer rating. But like, uh, you watch the game and you're like, no, this is the, the, the his game wasn't that good. It's um, hard for me to be critical of Andy after I think of the atrocious drops that unfortunately Olave had. Yeah, but I mean, Andy, Andy had misses too. Like a- Andy, no, didn't oh, play well. Andy, luckily didn't have like two or three more picks. Yeah, Andy, I, Andy did not have a good game. So there's one thing that really annoys me on offense, and it's that Eno Benjamin got two carries for three yards. Yeah. And I just don't understand in a game where you're like clearly not putting your best foot forward. Why does Alvin have 23 rushing attempts and you don't even use Eno? Like you used David Johnson multiple times. He had two catches for 28 yards. But this guy who you just need to get a look at, you didn't get a look at him. Like, why? Why is that? I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. Um, you did get Trevor Penning in at left tackle. And I thought that he had a decent game. I have to go through the tape to kind of get a really an idea of how he held up in pass protection. I think he, as the game wore on, he he got beat a few more times. I think he started well. And he's always going to be a good run blocker. Um, but I think he got hurt late in the game and had to get replaced by James Hurst, who started at guard and shifted outside unless I'm mistaken. I, I, it's, it was hard for me to pay attention late in the game because it was just so miserable, but yeah. No, Penning did um, walk off on his own power deal. He didn't need the cart to take him to, to the back, but definitely had the cleat off walking to the back with a, you know, ginger steps, not, you know, not putting too much pressure, but wasn't in, like I said, the over amount of, you know, damage considering that he was able to walk off on his own. Nobody was even like, you know, got the shoulder help uh, leaning on him, helping him walk in. He just kind of hobbled off on his own. Yeah. And hopefully it's nothing serious. I mean, obviously you're heading the off season. So any kind of maintenance issue, you, you have plenty of time to deal with it. So, you know, that's what you hope. And I like, even if he could have come back in the game, you don't come back into that kind of game if it's something that you could injure worse. But either way, you got some really valuable tape on Trevor as a starting left tackle, and you can go into the offseason and kind of get a better idea of what you are looking at there. You also got some tape on Hurst at left guard, which who knows with Andrews Pete, it's always hurt, and you kind of just need a backup option there. So if he's a better option than maybe a Lewis Kidd or a Calvin Throckmorton, all the better. You you want depth at that position and you want depth at a position where you can have a dual backup, right? Like he could he could obviously step in at any point and play left tackle, play guard. So that's something that's helpful. And so hopefully, you know, that's you can look at that and kind of move forward with both those guys because you really are hoping that to start next season, Trevor Penning is your starting left tackle. Yeah, that's a big one that, you know, it obviously still remains to be seen. I think we've seen enough from uh, like Alante Taylor to know that what you have in him going forward, but there's still obviously, you know, with, with Penning missing so much time, we didn't get to see him really develop much throughout the season at all. I think that, you know, ho- hopefully, yeah, it's nothing serious with the, with another foot injury for him. Cause 
Yeah, that's what you worry about. You worry about him maybe re-injuring that that toe, that surgically repaired toe. You know, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that might be what it is, but that's what you would be worried about if he just, you know, sprained a sprained something or right. Um, you know, was dealing with just something that you need to give some time. You got plenty of time, right? Like that's one of the benefits, if you want to say, of missing the postseason is you get the extra couple of weeks of the off season and you can get as healthy as humanly possible. Right. So if you want to, if you want to look at the silver lining, it is extra rest for guys. Um, no. And I was going to say with no love for Eno, but you, you had, you had Taysom and Camara rolling though, quote unquote rolling. Yeah. I mean, Camara had a good game, but again, I didn't need, I, I know Camara is except we don't a throw football player. Right. I don't need to see Alvin, in a game that doesn't matter, like he—that's not information that I need. Yeah, why do we? Hate, why do we not want to get Alvin in the end zone? Well, I think ever. they did want to get Alvin in the end zone, but if they didn't <laughs> get into situations where he could get into the end zone, right? Like they weren't—I don't know if they ran a play in the red zone today. That's actually a good question. Did they? Because like they fumbled outside the red zone, they had a turnover on downs outside the red zone. They scored a touchdown from outside the red zone. They missed a field goal from outside the red zone. I don't think they got into the red zone today once. Uh, that doesn't sound right, though. But when did they get into the red zone? They scored one touchdown, and it was a 25-yard touchdown. And that's that's the only time they scored. They fumbled from outside the red zone on Chris Olave's fumble. They missed a 44-yard field goal, which is outside the red zone. And they missed the 55-year-old year old, 55-yard field goal, which is also <laughs> outside the red zone. So I don't think they got into the red zone today. Ugh. No, not it's not like Carolina was there all day either. So no, they got there once. Actually, they might have got there twice because they did. Tyron got an interception like on the goal lines. So I don't know where that was thrown from, but um, they did run the ball well, and that's something that you're going to go into the offseason and saying, you know, so we did we 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 have established that this is a defense that can shut down the passing game and do it as well as anybody, but they're susceptible to the run, especially power run inside. Um, Chuba Hubbard had 21 carries for 69 yards and a long of eight. Uh, Deontay Foreman, 12 carries for 68 yards and a long of 21. So that's the type of run game that I think you have to find a way to stop. And, you know, when you're going into the draft and you're looking at prospects, I think defensive tackle is a position that you really need to take a long, hard look at. Because, you know, I think Malcolm Roach is a good player. I think he's a backup in the NFL. David Onyemata is a good player. I don't know if he's a, he's a star. And I think you need more depth there. Um, what, so what are we today. missing? Because, I mean, wh- what a drastic change, though, this year. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think who's not around from last last season that made such a difference. I don't think the run defense was that good last year either. Like I, I went to this season saying defensive tackle, interior defensive line is a position that they need to upgrade, and they didn't. And I think you're just seeing more and more. You know, I think David Onyemata is, I don't know, maybe he's peaked, right? Maybe he's on the second half of his career. And we saw the peak David Onyemata, and you know he's not going to be that guy anymore. You know, Although you a pretty good game today, I'll say. I thought I think he's been fine. I think he's had a decent season. I just don't think that he has been a star, right? Like, right. You, know, you right. look at Vita Vea, and you see like, okay, this guy's going to just single handedly change a game. You look at like guys like Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, and the Chiefs. You know, these are guys who can change a game, and I don't think the Saints have that, right? You know, I think Shai Tuttle had a solid season. Again, I think these are rotational defensive tackles, Contavious Street, you know, and they're playing in bigger roles than you should have them playing in. And I think that's why you're having a you're having a harder time stopping the run. 
Plus, teams are forced to, to run the ball. That's the other thing is when you are a dominant secondary, teams are going to just, tr- you know, they're not going to, they're not going to take for granted that they can just throw it and not have to worry about it. They're like, okay, Sam is two of 12 for 12 yards. I guess we should try to run it. And that's what they did, right? That's what the Falcons did. When's the last time you saw the Saints hold an opposing offense to under 100 yards passing twice in a season? I don't know if it's ever happened, right? And so that, like, that's, a, that's, a, that's something you have to factor in is teams are going to stay absurdly dedicated to running the ball because they don't think they can throw it. And so it's going to expose deficiencies if you have them. And I think that's what's happened. The um, see, Seeing what this all, the defense has done of late, you got to wonder, though, can that sustain, obviously, into next season? Who's going to be still around? Who's going to get paid? And, you know, for all the complaints, you want to talk about Dennis Allen. Obviously, he's the main hand in that defense. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about Dennis Allen in the mailbag. <laughs> I was going to say, he's the main guy. He's the main the head you know what in charge of that D um, and look at the way it closed out the season. I, and I think it's easy, obviously to look at the offense, obviously where the defense deficiencies were. And to me, it's like, I, you know, I was kind of joking. Why do, why does the team hate getting Alvin Kamara in the end zone? But how does that happen this season? I mean, is it something where he wasn't, completely him on the field yet or was it the offense holding him kind of back is it the court case kind of looming over him which I don't feel like that was the case at all no I don't think so it was just for him to be such an elite player in the league and what he can do it's unfathomable to me that he wasn't in the end zone more I don't think there's only there's any question that Alvin has been misused in this offense I don't, you know, it's like, we're going to get into this in the mailbag, so we don't have to get into it here. But I think <laughs> it's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into it here because there's a lot to be said and we're already 30 minutes in. And, but yeah, I mean, from, from the perspective of having all of these weapons and me not feeling like they've, any of them have been used in their, to their, to their ceiling, like what, at the, at the peak of what you could have expected. Um, that's, that's frustrating. And that's where I think you're, you're going to look in this off season and you're going to be like, okay, where do we make changes? And that's where you're going to go. Where you said not using weapons. It just flew into my head. Something I was, where the hell was Jawan Johnson all game? He had one catch for 21 yards. Adam Troutman had one catch for 18 yards. Traquan Smith had one catch for six yards. David Johnson, two catches, 28. Rashid Shahid, three catches on four targets, 34 yards. Chris Olave, five catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, but like, like you can say, where was he? Like, where was everybody? Sure, right. The offense didn't do anything. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's just one of those guys I feel like can be utilized more, obviously. The, Sa- the Saints are so damn talented on that side of the ball, too. And I'm not saying – I think Andy Dalton is a good enough game manager to get it done, which doesn't make sense to me. When you have yeah. all that flanked out around him. I mean, I don't think you can go and pull anything out of this game and say like, okay, this is a fundamental issue with this team because this just wasn't a, this wasn't a football game. This was a, this was a preseason game with more pomp and circumstance and a better halftime show. I thought Rob Bass was great. I, I had a good time. It takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of it, it takes two to score a touchdown, I hope, apparently takes more than two apparently <laughs> enough. all right let's wrap up that segment we're going to come back with the mailbag this is inside black and gold hit the subscribe button thanks everyone for being here and for for sticking around 
going to go to a quick break, and then we will come back with your questions. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. We're going to get through the mailbag, but first, I want to get into this topic that we started on. Rob Bass was very good, and I thought it was a very good halftime show for a game that no one cared about. And the other note I have was that building was way louder than it deserved to be for the game that we watched. Like, I thought I was amazed at how loud it got on that final drive. Like, and it's like, it's like the Saints have such good fans. Like, they really do. And like, the fact that there was anyone there at all is so telling of like how how much people want this team to be good. <laughs> like they care so much that they like any like I don't know any stadium, but probably half the stadiums in the NFL, there would have been more road fans than home fans and they would have been they wouldn't have made any noise on that final drive and I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I was kind of impressed of the the lower bowl was look, I think the lower bowl is pretty much totally filled. And there were splotches on the middle and, and upper level kind of thing. But whoever did show up was definitely, like you said, raring to go. And, and I don't know, the, the dome, no matter what, is usually magic. And unfortunately, there wasn't there wasn't that good voodoo on this team this game. Yeah, yeah, it didn't. It didn't go well. And yeah, the fans deserve better, right? Like that's uh, that's something that I think um, we can say for a lot of the season. The fans deserve better. And I'm going to get into this now. I didn't want to get into the last segment because I feel like we need more time and I don't want it to be an hour long segment, but like, I think there do need to be changes on this staff, but like, I don't think that every issue with the team just reflexively saying, Oh, Dennis Allen sucks. Fire Dennis Allen. Like, I don't think that's solving any problems. Like there are issues that need to be solved, but pretending that your kicker not being able to make a field goal is the head coach's problem is like something that he could have done differently to make Will Lutz kick the ball straight. That's missing the forest for the trees in that you have a Will Lutz problem. Like is Will Lutz the kicker that you can depend on going forward? I don't know, but like, that's the question. You, you look at Darren Rizzi, right? You look at like that part of the, that part of the staff when the offense is, is struggling the way it has, it's like, okay, are you going to look at, the defensive head coach, or are you going to say, okay, we need to pull some strings at the offensive coordinator position and make changes. And that's what David Wiles says. He says, the offense need help this offseason, need a QB and offensive coordinator stat. And it's like, yes. Like, do you, do you see a defense that held the opposing quarterback to 43 yards passing and did not get any complimentary football played by the, by the offense? Cause that's what I saw. And that's the guy I'm looking at. Like, yeah, you could clean house every year that things don't go well, but that's not how you create a winning football team. And I don't know. No, and I just don't think that Dennis Allen is not somebody that the organization isn't fully committed to. You know what I mean? Oh, they're, they're, um, they are committed to him, right. Right, and it just doesn't – He's he, he is going to have to make some tough decisions, though, like you said, and I think that starts obviously on the offense because – that's not Saints. That's not Saints football. When you can't get your your one of the top weapons in the NFL into the freaking end zone, and yeah. it just is a question of, I, I guess, is it is it really on 
Andy Dalton too, as much as everybody wants to put it on quarterback. And at times I understand there's, he, he has his deficiencies, obviously, but, <laughs> but he's, he's a guy, you know, that when it does get tough, he's not going to fold on you. Yeah. To me, it's like, it's not a question of whether, whether Andy Dalton can play quarterback at a level that's high enough to win games. Like we've and seen, he that. got he's banked up in that game. Yeah. I rode an elevator with him. He seemed fine. Um, <laughs> Nothing was wrapped. No, no. He, 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 and his, this is kind of funny when we were leaving the Superdome, I was waiting for the elevator in the press box and it's just, it comes up and it opens and I wasn't expecting anyone to be in there. And that's always weird when there's people in the elevator, like, because you press the button and you're at the top floor and you're like, there's not going to be anyone in here. Cause they would have already gotten off. Why would they come up to go down? Well, the elevator doors open and there's people in there and those people are Andy Dalton. And the guy I can only assume is Andy Dalton's dad because they look exactly like each other. And, and so I was like, oh, okay. And so we rolled the elevator down and they're talking about like the playoff scenarios. It was very funny to me, but he seemed fine. Anyway, I think yeah, that when you talk about the quarterback position, you want dynamic quarterback play and everyone wants dynamic quarterback play. And what you need to have is league average quarterback play. And that's what you have with Andy. Now, are you a Super Bowl contender with league average quarterback play? Probably not, right? So, right? It kind of feels like you need, unless you were the 49ers and your team independent of the quarterback is dynamic at every position and you do just need a game manager, but you know, you look at, look around the NFL and the teams that you feel like have a chance to win a Super Bowl are the Bengals and the bills and, and the chiefs, you know, and the, and the Eagles and these teams with a quarterback who is elevating the offense, not just managing. Um, And so that's where I see it. But I did think that the DA was pretty open on this question after the game. And so we can listen to that here. Probably a better time for us to to answer that question in terms of what we need going forward, you know, in the off season. But um, you know, Mickey and I will sit down, you know, this next week. We'll talk about a lot of different things. Um, we'll evaluate our program from top to bottom, and then we'll make whatever adjustments we need to make, and then we'll have a plan moving forward. Dennis, would you expect that this off season there are going to be more roster changes, more personnel changes than maybe? this team has experienced in the last five years yeah I, I don't I don't know that I mean look certainly when you you know we've got these magnets up on our board that have our depth chart and um, you know a red magnet means that he's a unrestricted free agent and certainly there's a lot of those red magnets up there so um, you know look we know in the business of pro football there's always change so there'll be there'll be change you know um, to what extent I think you know, those are decisions that we're going to have to uh, come up with over the next week or two. You're talking about uh, roster changes, but what about potential coaching changes after you largely kept? Yeah, I think I think staff? again, like like I just said, we're, we're going to evaluate everything, and so um, nobody's nobody's making any decisions on anything. Thirty minutes after we walked off the field, um, you know, so we'll, there'll be time to evaluate those things, and 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 we'll see what we need to do to, to give ourselves the best opportunity as we go forward. You see, Mike Gundy, you can't answer that question without being an asshole. I don't even think anyone's going to get that reference, but Mike Gundy was a jerk to a reporter who asked him if there was going to be staff changes. Out, and he was like, how dare you ask me that question? Anyway, but no, like, I think that's, you know, he's not saying there's going to be changes, but I think, you know, not deflecting that is pretty telling of like, you know, he could say like, I don't want to talk about it right now or blah, blah, blah. He's basically admitting that, yeah, there's, there's a good chance that there's going to be some changes now where they are. You don't know, but 
you don't watch this team operate the way it did and not feel like from the front office down, you need to significantly study and make decisions on how you're operating. And I think it has to start on the offensive side of the ball and it has to start with Pete Carmichael. And I think, I think like, I, I really do like Pete. I enjoy him as a person. I think he's a really good football mind. I don't think that he is suited to be the commander of an offense. Like, I think he's a decent offensive coordinator when you have a Sean Payton leading the show. I do not think that he is the the kind of standard holder for a dynamic offense in the 2023 version of the NFL. And so you need to find a way to modernize or at least, you know, bring in someone with more cachet that can that can be more creative and and give you an identity on offense. And that's kind of where I see this team really needing to make changes. And that's the thing. If you clean house, you can't just fix the problems you have. You have to start from scratch. Whereas if you just fix the issues and can find a way to, to, to you know, make it a more well-oiled machine, then you can build on things. And 7-10 and 10 is a record you can build on. That's my take, but I know people disagree. Seven and ten sounds a bit gross, though. Oh, I agree. I agree, but it's not like two and fourteen. No, but at least you knew, like the the mediocre. You know, seven and ten is still mediocre. Those are the seasons that are harder to stomach. I think just because you're you almost see a product that's there, and then it just for for whatever reason the growth or because you know the the, you want to say growing pains or because of injuries, just things don't end up going your way. So it was like that, that season that could have been, but wasn't almost. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I agree with that, but I don't, you know, on the flip side of that, it could have been two and 14, but you also could have been blown out in game after game after game and not been, not felt like you were a competitive team. The reason this is frustrating is because it feels like the Saints should be winning games and they didn't win enough of them. And they were close enough in so many of them that they should have won them. And Not against the Panthers. <laughs> Can't right. beat the Panthers. Well, right, exactly. Like the Panthers games were kind of notwithstanding. And I think week three was tough because Jameis was trying to play through significant back and foot injuries. And so you don't didn't get a real a real look at what the offense should have looked like with him healthy. This game, I just don't think you can take anything away from it because it was just a garbage football game. And that game um, in Carolina, I don't know, like Thomas and Landry got banged up in that game in Carolina too. Yeah, so you didn't have any receivers, and your quarterback was playing Ridiculous through injuries he should never man. have been asked to play through. And so, yeah, but like I, I think that's why I look at it like, you know, like I think there are levers you can pull that can make you a more representative NFL kind of team that should be in the playoffs, and you just you didn't get enough of them right this year in the first year of a new head coaching tenure where there were a lot of questions and you had to make educated guesses in terms of, okay, maybe, maybe we can just maintain the continuity on offense and Pete Carmichael can take over and do things in a way that, you know, you don't miss Sean Payton. But I think we learned throughout the course of the season that that's not true. And that's not the fault of anyone other than, you know, you have to correct that mistake. The huge issue that definitely comes down to back to to Carmichael for me is the fact that you've got the horses around you. You've got the talent to work with when you have, um, you know, the quarterback situation, I'm not going to say is an ideal kind of thing, but when you have a weapon like uh, Chris Olave, Rashid Shaheed, 
you know, Jawan Johnson, Taysom Hill, uh, Alvin Kamara, especially a guy like Alvin Kamara. I'm just thinking that this offense should be obviously able to put up more than freaking seven points in a game. Yeah, you got to be better. Even besides, like, you know, picking on Lutz for not making his kicks, we got to get in the end zone. Yeah, and you, you also have to make your kicks. Um, but <laughs> yes. yes, you do have to you have to get into the end zone. And you know, we don't have to go any deeper on that. Like that's that's my that's my piece on it. I think you need to replace the offensive coordinator. And you know, I don't know. Ronald Curry is an interesting guy. He's a quarterbacks coach. I think he did a pretty good job this season. Cody Burns, I think, has done a really good job with the wide receivers. The offensive line is tougher to gauge because you didn't really see much from Trevor Penning, so you don't know how how well Doug Marone has been leading that group. But you did see a serious jump forward for Caesar Ruiz. And they've all been singing Doug Marone's praises. And so, you know, you kind of feel like you're doing okay there. Zach Streif, I think, has done a good job. So I don't think you need to replace the entire offensive staff, but I do think you need an identity at the top, and you don't have it right now. And so don't that's you think, though, Ramchek had a pretty down year? He did, and you have to wonder if he is if he is Hurting. falling off a little bit. Um, right. He's been dealing with injuries, and they've been piling up. And anytime you're dealing with repetitive knee, knee issues, um, you start to worry. And so maybe that is a position where you have to – you have to start thinking about, okay, where's who's our right tackle of the future? Um, but he's still playing confident NFL football. So I don't think that's a that's an emergency position. Um, no, but he wasn't the same obvious all-pro ram check you're used to. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. But yeah, you got you to gotta figure that out. Rubber Johnny here. In his last post-game presser of the season, when asked about what went wrong, DA literally said, we're going to look at the tape. Unreal. I mean, what do you think he's going to say? How do you think they figure? Like, that is a very fan thing to be like, I watched this game in real speed and the announcers told me this. And so this is my take and this is what it's going to be. I don't need to watch it again. I don't need to slow this down. I don't need to study it at all. I know it. It's true. It's a fact, but that's that's not how teams operate. Like when you send a coach up there and you ask him about a specific player in a game, he just watched 200 plays of a football game or however many plays there are in a football game. Like he's not ready to be like, yeah, Chris Olave ran the wrong route on third and three in this with seven minutes, 55 seconds left in the third quarter. Like, no, he's going to watch it on film and he's going to make an assessment. And so like, that's not an unreasonable thing for a coach to say. And any coach who goes up there and trashes his players without watching it again, that's a bad coach. <laughs> I was that's say, a coach though, the even, players don't want to play for. watching it again, he's not going to throw them under the bus again, even the next day, like tomorrow or Monday. Allen's not going to say, oh yeah, Olave, you know, his hands really were a disappointment for us when we needed him most. Well, not in a press conference, but he might say that to Chris in person, right? <laughs> like that might be in the team meeting and he'd be like, Hey, Chris, you let us down here. <laughs> like you're going to have an exit interview and you're going to be bringing these things up. And I think what he said about Chris Olave was interesting too. Um, Cause I thought it was very, I thought DA, you know, we, I've been critical of him in press conferences. I don't think he, he handles himself very well in terms of, He's just kind of very robotic, and you kind of want to see a little more emotion out of him. Like they're kind of somewhere... awkward, though. So I get it from, but yeah. obviously he has to deal with it. But I did think he was actually a little more open in this press conference. And here's what he said about Chris. Olave. Yeah, he's he's been the same guy each and every week. You know, he's highly talented. Um, he's got a lot of things that he's got to continue to work on to get better at. I think there's a lot of growth left in that player, um, and we're expecting to see a lot of growth in that player. So certainly, um, you know, good start, but not, not, not near where he can be. Um, and, and, and I think he's got to have a good off season to, so that we can take that next step to develop into the type of receiver that I think he really can be. Yeah. First round picks don't drop footballs like that. 
No, but I mean, like, I think that's fair, right? Like, he did a lot of good things in his rookie season, but there are things to work on, especially ball control, ball security. But that's stuff you can work on, right? Like, until you get to the NFL and these coaches get to work with you, there's a lot of mystery. And then you you get into your first offseason and you're kind of just working on everything. And then you play an entire season and now you get to the end of it. Now you have your first NFL offseason, your first full NFL offseason with no combine and no pro days and you were just a professional football player. And so you can look back and say, okay, these are the three, the top three things that I need to focus on the most ball security, you know, route running this and that and bulking up. And then you work on that. And then you come in in year two and you are a more well-rounded player. And that's the point that Chris Olave is at right now. We know what he does. Well, he needs to improve the things he doesn't do as well. And so I thought that was, a, that's a, that's a fair point by DA, which is like, He's a really good re- receiver. He is not anywhere near where he needs to be to be a star receiver. And that's what you saw today. Like, you can't fumble the way he has fumbled this season. You can't have these letdowns in key instances where the ball hits you on the hands or in the helmet. Um, and that's where you got to change it. Like I said before, I couldn't believe it. It looked like we were primed to see a huge Olave breakout after that nice little spin into the end zone. Everyone was all excited to open the game and then nothing but pain afterwards. Yeah, so 504 Co. And, and David Weil both kind of asked the same question. It says, is the restructure a clear sign that we are moving on from, from Mike Thomas? And so, to you know, we didn't talk – this happened yesterday, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it in the pod. Effectively, what happened is the Saints reduced Mike Thomas's 2023 cap hit from $15 million to $1 million, Or You know, the, there's more specific numbers, but that's basically where you're at. They also guaranteed a – $900,000 signing bonus, which kind of just greased the skids to make it worth his while to sign this kind of restructured deal. And so, yeah, you're kind of pushing that cap hit forward, which means that the most likely thing that's going to happen is he's going to get cut. It's going to be very difficult to trade him because why, as another team, would you take on such a kind of a weird contract for a guy who hasn't effectively hasn't played more than a couple snaps for three years? You know, like, and you're, you're questioning his health. And so you're going to want to bring him in on a more team-friendly deal. And so I think that's what you would want to do. But teams aren't going to trade for that contract when they know they can just r- wait until he gets released and then negotiate with him. Um, so I think that's what's going to happen. It's very unlikely the team keeps him on the roster and accepts the cap hit that he would bring. Um, so yeah, I think this the way I put it this morning on first take is this doesn't mean that they're definitely going to cut him. But if you were going to cut him, this is the step you would have to take first for that to be able to happen in a way that actually benefits you from a cap perspective. Right. If if you're following, you know, the step-by-step here, it kind of seems that's where that's the, the direction is headed towards him, you know, kind of getting released by the team, which is unfortunate because I know one fans are going to be angry and they should, the fact that you're not going to get obviously any value for anything for a player like Michael Thomas, who you know is going to end up on a, a roster and have a, a totally healthy season ball out because you know, the guy's skill level hasn't just vanished. And I'd be happy for him, right? Like I root for guys like that because that's frustrating. Cause I want to see great football players play football. Like I don't enjoy complaining about a guy. I want to see Mike Thomas out there healthy and balling out. Cause I love watching Mike Thomas play. And well, so whether it happens in New Orleans and Yeah, and, and like I think that to an extent, there has been a undue amount of emphasis placed on Mike 
for the last two years because he is your biggest investment in the wide receiver room and you need him out there. Now I think you're feeling a little better about where you are in that regard. And so you can say, okay, you know what? This just, this, just something's got to give. We're going to move on. You know, they made it, I think they did as good as they could to make it worth Mike's while. And so he's going to go and he's going to find a new deal somewhere. Uh, That's my, that's my guess. And you know, yeah, that'd be great if he had a, if he had a healthy season and then the saints now can focus their time and energy and the coaching staff's time and energy on developing Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid and whoever else they bring into that wide receiver room. I do think that they need to bring in a body receiver, you know, like a, like a bigger receiver, because that is one thing that you are now lacking because I expect Jarvis Landry to be out of town is that kind of possession receiver. But yeah, Jarvis just couldn't unfortunately hold up either, but one of those guys guys just unfortunately been dealing with injuries, right? Yeah. But another one of those guys that was definitely a solid voice in that locker room this year really enjoyed any time that we did get to talk to him. Here's Ricky B. The O-line was horrible this year in the middle of the defensive line. Yeah, it's it's the O-line's tough because you've been dealing with so many injuries, and that's always the case on the offensive line, right? Like offensive linemen are injured more frequently than anyone else just because of the position they play and you know, it's like not hard to understand why. Like you watch all these replays where they're kind of blocking and they have no ability to avoid someone like rolling up on their ankle or, you know, it's like you see it happen all the time and you wonder how these guys aren't dealing with injuries every week. Like that's why I get annoyed when people complain when the Saints take offensive linemen in the draft. It's like you need these guys. And then it's like, yeah, when it's bad, you can't do much. Like, you know, we I, I don't know how many people watch the Jaguars-Titans game last night or Saturday night, like the Jaguars won that game. They honestly should have lost it. Josh Dobbs lost that game for the Titans. And the reason that the Jags probably should have lost that game was because they had their offensive line couldn't block. I mean, the Titans were through every possession, like Trevor Lawrence, who has had a great season, couldn't had no time. Right. And when the offensive line is not protecting the quarterback, it's really hard to win a game. Right, like that's that's how the Giants beat the unbeatable Patriots in the Super Bowl by having a pass rush that you couldn't stop, and so like that's that's why good teams build through the lines, and that's why the Saints are going to continue to do that. And so, if you're gonna if you're someone who complains about the offensive line, I really hope that you are not also someone that complains when the Saints draft Caesar Ruiz in the in the, you know in the first round because that's why you are bringing in guys like that. Yeah, and you 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 definitely need to to continually invest in that O line, obviously for whoever's that quarterback. And and obviously, you know, benefits the run games in so many ways. I was really surprised that I feel like we saw more of Traquan today than than typical. Yeah, um, you saw Marquez on a couple snaps. So you saw Marquez yeah. on the snaps when I, you know, I mentioned Chris Olave was out of the game, right? Those were the snaps when you threw to Marquez, and he had a, per- you know, you say Andy Dalton had a terrible game. No, that's why it's not true, to, right? He threw a perfect back shoulder fade to Marquez Callaway, who never saw it. <laughs> he just didn't find it. And that's, yeah, I think Marquez has had a really down year, uh, which is disappointing. You know, I think he's probably, I think there's a few instances going on right now where these were Sean Payton guys and they're Sean Payton holdovers and they might not fit in with the with the current regime quite as well. Um, but I will say like on the field though, Callaway is a very loose, animated, outgoing, you can see, you know, lively personality out there so it's like you would think that kind of fun player would translate to the field but it it really just hasn't 
Well, if he, he, I mean, like his best play of the season came on the first Panthers game where he turned an interception into a touchdown. Yeah. If you remember, he just kind of just reached up and grabbed it. And like, that's the type of play that, you know, we haven't seen from him. And because I think he, he's just not on the field because I don't think he can create separation as well as he needs to. Here's the young blood of 46. Saints need to draft a young running back to pair with Kamara next season. Tajay Spears of Tulane would fit the bill. I would love to see Tajay Spears on the Saints. I would love to see them bring in a young running back. I've been saying this all season that it annoys the hell out of me that not, and it's nothing against Mark Ingram. It just annoys me that you don't have a young running back kind of learning at the feet of a Mark Ingram, right? Like that should be what you're trying to do is have pipelines. I call them pipeline positions, right? Where you have a veteran, like there are, there are players who could be good quality NFL players. They are not that because they need to learn and they learn by studying what the good players do. And so when you have a DeMario Davis, right, you're able to develop a Caden Ellis because he's able to learn from this guy. Whereas in other instances where you kind of just throw him into the wolves, he might not be able to do that. And so that's what I would love to have seen from the Saints when they had Mark Ingram. And then you bring in a young guy who can learn from Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. They didn't do that. Same thing they didn't do at quarterback. It's the same thing they didn't do with Malcolm Jenkins at safety. And that always bothers me because it feels like a wasted opportunity. And that's where like Mark Ingram's going to retire. And I assume, right? He may come back, but I have a I feel like he's right on the edge. And so you haven't had that guy. And now you have, you know, Benjamin in there. Maybe he's a guy you keep around, but I don't know because you didn't play it. And so, yeah, like I would like to see some in an infusion of youth at the running back position. Cause like, like you saw two guys today, like Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard, like these are guys who can get the job done and you just have to give them a chance. And that's just not something the saints have done. The saints have typically been, I feel like pretty good at grabbing undrafted, you know, rookie talent that didn't happen this year. Unfortunately, I thought, you know, we, we would have an, you're talking about Yes, they did where Rashid. No, no, I meant at running back. Sorry. Oh, running back. But typically, yeah, I, mean, I feel like they've hit some some pretty good home runs with with undrafted talent at running back. They but weren't able to mine yeah. that this year. Like Pierre Thomas, I think that's kind of who you're thinking of. Yeah, um, like a Kyrie Robinson, yeah. uh, Chris Ivory. Yeah, but I mean, hasn't you haven't seen that in a while, right? Like they drafted Boston Scott in the sixth round and let him go. Well, like Abram Smith, I, like I don't know, you know, that was someone that we all were off on. Because we just assumed that the you know they brought him in and they, like he looked solid. I don't think he looked bad, but is he in the you know, XFL? Didn't even make or the practice did, squad. Did, I think he got drafted in the XFL, right? I don't know, but like I he mean, didn't even make the practice squad. No. Like, yeah, whatever we were thinking about that that that, that did not pan out. Yeah, something didn't, something didn't compute there, which is really odd. Um, you know, maybe he just didn't he didn't pick up the offense. I don't know, but. But he didn't yeah, obviously pick up anywhere else either. And anybody. No, looking, no it's looking not like for... he got claimed or anything. Yeah. Don <laughs> Thomas, you know, who was the running backs coach? That's Joel Thomas. Um, been around for a while. Uh, one, one note for Joel. And I think one of the reasons the Saints wanted to bring Eno in, Joel Thomas actually recruited Eno Benjamin out of high school. Joel was a coach at Arkansas, I believe, at that point, And he recruited Eno. So he knows Eno well. And I think that's part of the reason the Saints wanted to bring him in. But yeah, Joel, Joel's been around for a while. He's very well liked. Uh, I would expect him to stick around. It's, a, it's official, Jeff. The Wikipedia page for Abram Smith says, American football running back for the D.C. defenders of the XFL. There you go. Okay, well, good for him. <laughs> at least he's still playing. We don't have an XFL team in New Orleans, huh? We do have the the Breakers, though. I know that how you you love them, so they they do not play in New Orleans. Are they coming back this year, or are they still doing Alabama? 
Why are you asking me? I don't know. I, I figured know. you might know. You're the 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 all knowing. <laughs> it's sad though that that if they're not back yet. Here's Pammy Whammy. Jeff, don't put lipstick on this pig. It's bad. Do people actually put lipstick on pigs? Does that help? Has anyone ever done that? Where it's like, oh man, that lipstick that really helped that pig. I don't know. I don't know how that one of those. I think that's the like the phrase is like you can't make a pig look pretty by putting lipstick on it. But I don't know. I've never seen a pig with lipstick on it. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to shame this pig. Porky Pig's girlfriend looked pretty good. Why are we so (laughs) mean to pigs? They're delicious. (laughs) I do. I do love me. Love me a good pig. Let's get one more good question in here, and then we'll we'll go. The last question that just came in about Jameis. I think we know the assessment. Oh, here's one, Dwayne Harris, which, you know, there's a, there was a former return guy named Dwayne Harris who I, uh, I, I enjoyed watching, but I don't think this is that guy. He's talking about the, the Dalton pass to Marquez. He said, that's stretching. It wasn't a perfect pass. I'm like, fine. It wasn't perfect, but it was a ball that could have been caught if Marquez had any idea where it was. And so that's when I say like, perfect, fine. You don't, nothing is perfect, but it could have been caught. And he just didn't know where it was. Oh, you really want me to get into Jameis in the last, the last, the last question? I guess we could. Okay, it might be the Can last time we a, talk about him ever. <laughs> yeah. Can we get a fair assessment of the Jameis situation? This is Ransom and Tuan. I mean, I, I feel like I've been pretty uh, consistent on my take on the Jameis situation, and it's that Dennis Allen did not want Jameis to be his quarterback. No, I was um, going to say I, I think it's pretty clear what the teams plan was for Jameis obviously no no I, I don't know about that I think this is a Dennis Allen thing and um you know I, I think the head coach has the right to decide who his quarterback is so wait and, a minute and like so you, you don't said, think Pete's got anything to do with that though either well yeah so when I say Dennis Allen, like I'm just saying it's not the front office is, is kind of what I'm saying like it's a Dennis Allen regime sure, thing sure. yeah and I do think that yes Pete Carmichael was a factor in the sense that Dennis Allen felt more comfortable with Pete Carmichael and Andy Dalton, that combination than he did with the Jameis Pete Carmichael combination. And part of that is fair because I don't think Pete Carmichael was cut out for the job, but you know, from, from, from the Jameis side of things, it's a tough situation. And it's a bummer because I really wanted to see him kind of spread his wings in this offense and get a chance to be a starter. I don't know Never. if he's going to get another chance. I don't know no, if right. there will be a market for him. Um, I'd hope there is. I hope the Saints don't hold him hostage if they're not going to give him a chance to start games. Um, and I, I don't think they're going to. So I, I expect that. Do you think there's any chance they could get a low draft pick for him or nah? No, no one's going to trade for him. I'd like to see him get a chance to go sign somewhere else for a team that needs a quarterback and get a chance to play. There's a bunch of teams that need quarterbacks. Yeah. Now there's jobs out there and you know the position the position that it is so important there's not many really good ones in the league which is crazy. No and and the other thing that's interesting is I don't think that the Saints are going to be able to re-sign Andy for 3 million. No, there's no way, right? I mean because he's been good enough, right? And that's and that's the thing it's like I get it. I know people want to make this out to be like there's some vitriol between the team and Jameis and that's maybe there is, but like the bigger issue that kept Jameis off the field is Andy Dalton actually played pretty well. Um, and well, they, they might end up stuck with Winston under contract while Andy is getting paid somewhere else. 
Well, right. Like, and that's, I was talking to Bobby about this this morning. And it's like, you just remember, go back to Teddy Bridgewater, right? Like premium backup quarterbacks can get paid. And you look at like the Titans, right? Do you not think the Titans would have liked to have like a, like an Andy Dalton back there to win that game? Cause I think, you know, Josh Dobbs played reasonably well, but he lost them that game, right? He missed the, they missed the playoffs because their best option was Josh Dobbs and Malik Willis, who was terrible, actually worse. And so like, you know, teams are going to be willing to pay. And so I think the Saints are going to have competition to re-sign Andy, even in a backup role. So that's something. Wop with Chicago again and now get Trevor Simeon back. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Chicago will give up Trevor? But yeah, it's... It's tough. And, you know, I'd like to see Jameis come back, but I don't know how you how you reconcile that. I don't know how you would be like, yeah, we benched you last year and we didn't even bother to put you in when we were desperate. But do you want to start now? Do you trust us? Do you want to come into training camp and compete? Yeah, it's just not a good look. And I don't like how it's gone with him and it's disappointing and. Yeah, I don't know if there's much more to be said than that. I'm hoping that he gets a chance. It's definitely strange for him. It wasn't. It's it's hard to put his performance, you know, on the on the reason why Winston hasn't been successful because of the fact that the guy just hasn't been able to stay healthy for whatever reason. I mean, last year and this year, that's another case where a pretty predominant piece to your offense now, along like I'm saying with a Michael Thomas, obviously, he was supposed to be your starting quarterback, and boom, the guy's you know, shelved immediately this season. A lot of things just did not begin right for this black and gold squad. It's suboptimal, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't, like, if if Jameis never gets hurt, I don't think Andy ever gets in the game, right? And so that's that's the tough part. And that's why I think when you're Jameis, you tried to play through it because you had a feeling that this might happen um, and you didn't want to give up that spot. And then you were assured that it wouldn't, and it did. Um, so that's that's tough. And you know, I, I give Jameis all the credit in the world because you know, you look at like like Derek Carr, uh, Marcus Mariota. You know, that's how those situations can go. Like they, you can get bailed on. These players don't take it well, and they move on. You know, you, like Ryan Tannehill before the season, he was like, "I'm not here to mentor Malik Willis." You know, like Aaron Rodgers basically said, "How dare you draft Jordan Love?" You know. Even though Aaron Rodgers was Jordan Love, like to Brett Favre, and so like the the fact that Jameis has handled it, and we've gotten to the end of the season, and he's still you know active in the locker room, and he's still practicing, and he's still serving. He's the backup quarterback, right? Like if if Andy Dalton got hurt, he would be the guy going in, and so you have to give him credit for that. And I think he played reasonably well when he was healthy. That's the frustrating thing is he just was healthy for such a minimal amount of time that he would have gotten a chance to start. Cause like even, and that's the thing, like even later in the season, even when they went to Andy Dalton, Jameis was not a hundred percent, right? Like you could have put him out there, but you would have been putting him out there at something less than a hundred percent and dealing with the, the lingering injuries, mostly the foot as opposed to the back, because the foot was a bigger issue um, in terms of coming back. And so that's when, that's the point where you got, that's the point where the coaching staff decided we were more comfortable with this. And that's the point where he lost that job. I can't wait to go into this offseason talking about who's going to be the quarterback. Who are they drafting? Are they going to bring in a free agent? 
there's there's so much uncertainty obviously still with that i mean there really isn't any free agent to me at least that kind of piques my interest unless obviously in no way in hell is it going to happen is lamar jackson available yeah yeah Uh, i mean it sounds like he's going to be it sounds like you know there's going to be an option there's going to be the ability to go try and get him so you know maybe that is the you know you saw that last year with Deshaun Watson, like this team is willing to try to clear the decks and go get a guy that's proven. I just and, think they uh, franchise him, tag him, huh? Well, I think they will franchise him in order to trade him because they're not going to try to let him walk for nothing, but they also don't want to pay him. So I don't think that they're going to franchise him and have him play on the franchise tag because trying to franchise a guy two years in a row is very difficult. It's very expensive, very fast. I think Kirk Cousins might be the only one I can think of that actually had it happen. Um, and so like the wow. like the Washington paid like $36 million for one season of Kirk Cousins, and then he went to Minnesota anyway. But yeah, so, yeah, you know, that could it. happen. We'll see. Brian Russell wants to know how we feel about Max Duggan or Henry Hooker. I think there's going to be options. Um, it's just really difficult to find a quarterback that's starting caliber outside of the first round. He also wants to know if we're Saints fans or just Saints reporters and if we'd like to see them succeed. I don't know what that means. I definitely want to see him succeed. Do I seem like but someone I, who doesn't care whether the Saints win or not? I care. But you know what? What's odd, I will say for both of us for doing a Saints podcast, neither one of us grew up Saints fans, though. No. But that's why I'm also not, like, ridiculously emotional about all right. of this. Right. I think like, that's, that's a good... Practical. I think that is a good bonus to that. But no, I mean, I, I watch a hell of a lot more Saints games than any other football team. So let's put it that way. Plus I can't be a great fan of other teams. Plus, to me, you're you're around these guys. You see them in the locker room, whatever. Yeah. I'm not saying you have like a, a relationship, but you're still pulling for this team because, you know, it it, it means a ha- happier times and much better spirits around too. Agreed. All right, that's the end of that. <laughs> I think we've gone through the mailbag about as deep as we can. There was one other question because I promised that if someone asked a question, we would talk about it. Sean to Arizona. <laughs> David Wilde wants to know pie or cake. Ooh, I do love a, a good pudding pie, but I probably have to. I'd, I'd say I have more cake than pie. Well, so I'm kind of confused on this one because I would say cheesecake, which is called cake, but I would think it's technically pie. Yeah, like a cheesecake there, isn't really a cake. And no, a pie right, crust. There, is, there is no cake involved with a with cheesecake, right? And then and you make it in a pie crust. But yeah, it's a, a, called a cheesecake. So I don't know. I think that's technically a pie. So I think I would go pie because that's my go-to is che- like a good cheesecake. Anyway, it's like driving on a freeway and or whatever. What's uh, I have no idea what you're talking. You about. park. You park on a driveway, but you drive on a, a parkway. Yes. Good job. There you go. I got. I got through it. Yeah, we got there in the end. But all right, let's wrap this up. This is the final post-game edition of the Inside Black and Gold podcast for the 2022 season. I do appreciate everyone who's. Uh, been in here, left a comment, sent me a message, chimed in, told me I'm dumb. I, I love it all. It's been a lot of fun. And so we're going to keep doing this throughout the off season, but we're going to scale it back a little bit. As I mentioned, just episodes Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're going to have a lot of pre-recorded stuff. So you might have some evergreen topics uh, throughout the off season, but stick with us and we'll we'll come back for next year fully loaded. I can't believe it's over. It's never really over, Steve. An actual Saints football game. It's going to be a while. You know, one of the things about the Saints missing the playoffs that I appreciate is I actually get to watch the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of having to work them? I can get to go to a bar and watch playoff football, which is really fun. And it's one of the things I miss 
when I cover the games because it's like that's one of the reasons I love football because I can go just get drunk and yell. Um, and so I'll be able to do that. So if you want to come down to Finn McCool's, <laughs> where you can find Jeff yelling and where you can find me drunkenly berating Daniel Jones for doing something dumb, feel free to come hang out. And uh, yeah, I'll be there. Trust me, I'll, I'll be there. All right, peace, y'all. Say goodbye, Steve. Bye, Steve.